0: Book Ecclesiastes. Um, we're going to dive in on chapter five here momentarily. Ecclesiastes—it's wisdom literature. Andrew mentioned that fits in there with Proverbs and with Job and some of the other books of the Old Testament that qualify as wisdom literature. You don't find God a whole lot in wisdom literature, actually, which is kind of ironic, right? Because it's in the Bible. Luckily tonight we get to find God again. God is in chapter five. He hasn't been a whole lot in other places, or God. I don't just refer to God as He often, so God hasn't just been uh, all over the place in the wisdom literature, so it's exciting that we're going to run into God tonight. We're going to cover a lot tonight. Um, I say that, we're only going to make it through a chapter probably, but there's a lot in the chapter, and there's a lot of different things in the chapter, and it kind of seems like it jumps all over the place, just like we've seen throughout Ecclesiastes, but there's kind of this running thread throughout, right? This idea of trying to figure out what in the world we get in this life from all of our work. What do we gain from all that we work And So we're gonna see this question again. This is his favorite question to ask. You're gonna hear me refer to Kohelet. Kohelet is the uh the one who's we fought we saw in chapter one, verse one that said um the teacher. Kohelet's the Hebrew word for that. So Kohelet being the teacher, the gatherer, the preacher, the one who's presenting all these things. And so we're we're looking through all the things that he's observed throughout the world, throughout the earth, all the things that he's been seeking, trying to figure out what it is that we gain. And so as we jump in, we will start here with verse 1 in chapter 5, and it reads, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than the sacrifice offered by fools, for they they do not know how to keep from doing evil. Never be rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be quick to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you upon earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For dreams come with many cares, and a fool's voice with many words. When you make a vow to God, do not delay fulfilling it. For he has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill what you vow. It is better that you should not vow, than that you should vow and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. Do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your words, and destroy the work of your hands? With many dreams come vanities and a multitude of words, but fear God. If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and right, do not be amazed at the matter, for the high official is watched by a higher, and they are yet higher ones over them. But all things considered, this is an advantage for a land, a king for a plowed field. The lover of money will not be satisfied with money, nor the lover of wealth with gain. This also is vanity. When goods increase, those who eat them increase, and what gain has their owner but to see them with his eyes. Sweet is the sleep of laborers, whether they eat little or much, but the surfeit of the rich will not let them sleep. There is a grievous ill that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owners to their hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. Though they are parents of children, They have nothing in their hand. And they came from their mother's womb, so they shall go. Naked as they came, they shall take nothing for their toil, which they may carry away with their hands. This also is a grievous ill. Just as they came, so shall they go. And what gain do they have from toiling for the wind? Besides, all their days they eat in darkness, in much vexation and sickness and resentment. This is what I have seen to be good. It is fitting to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun, the few days of their life God gives us. For this is our lot. Likewise, all to whom God gives wealth and possessions and whom he enables to enjoy them and to accept their lot and find enjoyment in their toil, this is the gift of God. For they will scarcely brood over the days of their lives because God keeps them occupied with the joy of their heart. Amen, huh? Right? Told you it was all over the place. It's like a roller coaster when we go through uh, Ecclesiastes here. So just a, a quick review. Um, we're going to see evil. You hear the word evil a couple of times. Ra is the Hebrew word. Ra. Ra. Vanity is, is the idea that we, we talked about balance. Um, trying to figure out what it is that brings about balance. Why are all these things just vanity, balance? Why are they neutral? Um, And we're going to see Yitron, Yitron being the the advantage that we're looking to seek and figure out what we're we're going to get with our advantage under the sun here, all these works that we do. Okay. Um, Again, we we draw near to God here. Starting off, um, he says, guard your steps. Literally, watch your foot when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than a sacrifice offered by fools. Uh, this isn't an original idea to Kohelet. This is something that we see um, throughout different areas of the Old Testament. The idea that um, sometimes sacrifice isn't enough, and sacrifice was very familiar in the in the Old Testament. That's kind of what they did, right? When you when you sinned, and not just you individually, but when the community when there was sin, there was a sacrifice made to atone for these sins. And yet he tells he's saying. To draw near to listen is better than the sacrifice offered by fools. And why is that? They don't know how to keep from doing evil. And actually, the the, the word here, what, what it actually says here, rather than they don't know how to keep from doing evil, it actually says they don't know how to do evil. They don't know to do evil. They don't know to do evil. Well, that doesn't make sense. And so that's why you get the interpretation the translation here for them to say they don't know how to keep from doing evil. And so for them for to say they don't know how to do evil, well, they're fools. They don't know how to do anything because they're foolish. We see this in wisdom literature. They keep bashing on the foolish. You don't want to be a fool, you want to be wise. Wisdom has two paths, right? The path of the, the fool and the path of the wise. So it's, I don't know what's, if it's whether they don't know how to do evil or they don't know that they are doing evil or that evil has been done. And maybe they don't even know that because they're foolish. But whatever they're doing, well, that's raw, Ra. raw. I can't even roll my R. I want to be like the lion from, from, um, Oz, right? Raw. That's what I feel like I need to do. Um, but I, I can't get it out whenever I say it quickly. So every time I say rah from now on, I'm going to have to go raw, um, they don't know how to keep from doing it. Fools are associated with, with evil. Not just any kind of evil, but like like calamity, like disastrous. Like they really messed up. We'll say they really messed up. Like whenever they come to bring their offering, they're really screwing it up. So he's saying, you have a better option here. <laughs> like rather than do this foolishly, you have other options. Um, it goes on to say, never be rash in verse 2. Never be rash with your mouth nor let your heart be quick to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you're upon earth. Therefore, let your words be few. These are two negatives. Never be rash and let your heart be quick, nor let your heart be quick. Um, so there's a parallel here with two negatives. And again, we're talking about balance. So you got to assume that if there's two negatives, we're going to have some positives somewhere to balance it out. So just kind of keep your negatives back here in the back of your mind. Um, and fools rarely speak concisely. Fools kind of babble on. <laughs> not, not babble on, like the city. <laughs> they babble, space, on. Um, and there's actually a proverb. We find this in Proverbs as well. Like it, it says in Proverbs saying that like, fools can't be concise in what they say. Wise people are concise in what they say. The fools just, man, they just flap their gums and flap their gums trying to get across what they're saying, but they can never do it. I say that and here I am talking for 30 minutes. No comment. For God is in heaven and you are upon earth. Therefore let your words be few. God is in heaven, we are on earth. We talked about eternity a couple weeks ago. This idea of different realms, right? God is in the realm of the eternal. We are in the realm of time, heaven, earth, different realms. God knows the realm, we know our realm. Stick to the realm you know, right? Stick to the realm you know. Because what happens when you start trying to talk about the realm you don't know? Well, you start babbling. And you look like a fool. So here's, here's some advice for you. Let your words be few. Don't want to sound like a fool? Let your words be few. So you can just chalk that one up to uh, Kohelet and say, thanks for the advice. For dreams come with many cares. In a fool's voice with many words. You'll see a parallel here again. Many cares, many words. Dreams. We have no idea what dreams mean, right? I love when people try to interpret dreams. I had this dream last night. What do you think it means? You had a dream? I don't know. Like, was it supposed to be meaning to it? Like, we always think there's like some, you know, like, we don't know what the dreams mean. For dreams come with many cares. Cares. That's kind of like worrying. Many cares. We worry about things. Worrying is going to be important. We're going to come back to worrying here in a little bit, so... With the idea of dreams come many worries, many cares, and fool's voice with many words. So with many cares come many words. Worrying comes with blabbering. Verse 4. We kind of switch, switch, shift positions here. We're going from going to God, approaching God, and then the way we approach God. Now we're going to say how we're supposed to deal with God. When you make a vow to God, do not delay fulfilling it. For he has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill what you vow. Again, this isn't unique to Koheleth. This isn't unique to, unique to Ecclesiastes. Um, if you want to flip to Deuteronomy 23, chapter 23, verse 21 through 23, um, it reads as follows. <clears throat> if you make a vow to the Lord your God, do not postpone fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you would incur guilt. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not incur guilt. Whatever your lips utter, you must diligently perform, just as you have freely vowed to the Lord your God with your own mouth. Pretty similar. And Kohelet's often quoted ideas from Deuteronomy. This isn't the first time he's done this. He's he's very well versed in the idea of the Deuteronomic ideas and understandings. Um, again, it's coming from a Hebrew tradition, so of course he would be. Um... It's not identical to what's said in in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, requ- like God, requires that we fulfill the the vow. Here, he's just saying that God finds no pleasure in fools. So, again, very similar, slight difference. Taken from the same tradition, same idea. So, fulfill what you vow. <clears throat> if you don't fulfill what you vow, well, that's when problems start arising. So, in verse in verse five, it is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your words and destroy the work of your hands? It is better. You have the, It is better here. We saw better also in five, chapter 5, verse 1. Most of the last chapter were these better proverbs. Listen is better. It, to draw near, to listen is better. It is better that you should not vow He's continuing on with the things he kept teaching us in in chapter 4 with the idea of better Proverbs. Excuse me. Um, You have two possibilities. You make a vow and you fulfill it. Or you make a vow and you don't fulfill it. Or you just don't make the vow. So I guess you have three. That's three. I can count. Three choices. And as a matter of fact, it's better to just go ahead and not make the vow if you're not going to fulfill it. <clears throat> do not let your mouth lead you into sin. Well, that's just what Deuteronomy told us. Do not say before the messenger. Well, who's the messenger? Again, back in, in, within Hebrew, right? Like, there were priests. You, would conf- you confessed essentially these sins. Not like, you, like Catholicism exactly, but like the sins are presented to the priest and then the priest made a sacrifice. So, we assume here that the messenger is the priest. That it was a mistake, right? It was an accident. I thought I'd be able to fulfill my vow but I didn't. It was just a mistake. Why should God be angry at my words, right? And destroy all that I've done? Well, because you're a fool. Fools breed foolishness. That's what happens when you're a fool. There's a foolish outcome. And again, this idea of a mistake and like um, accidental sinning, this isn't unique to Kohelet either. We find this in Numbers in chapter 15. For all of you who are taking notes and want to go back and look that up later, you can you can do that. In verse seven, "With many dreams come vanities and a multitude of words, but fear God. Here we have dreams again. We're, we're back to having dreams. And so we we reference back to, to verse three: um, "But with many dreams come vanities, and a multitude of words. What do we find out about a multitude of words? Well, that's foolishness. But fear God. You're a fool. You keep babbling. You're caught up in all these dreams. You can't. You can't do much if you're a fool. Sometimes you're just foolish. But you know what you can do? You fear God. It just boils it down really easy right here. Fear God. All right. Now we get to shift shift all over again. Here we're going into verse eight, and we totally change directions again. If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and right, do not be amazed at the matter, for the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. But all things considered, this is an advantage for a land, a king for a ploughed field. Oppression of the poor. it doesn't specify whether he's talking about some specific government or some form of bureaucracy that is just totally corrupted and um, where they're just oppressing people and there's no justice and no righteousness. Again, he's talked about justice and righteousness before, right? When we look and he he was seeking to find justices and righteousness, what did he find? Wickedness. It's not there. Where it's supposed to be, it's not found. So he says, don't be amazed or don't, don't, don't be surprised by this matter the high official is watched by higher and there are yet higher ones over them so again it could have this bureaucratic structure right where like yeah these people on this level are oppressive but but they have people over them to keep them in line oh well they're they're corrupt too well there's somebody above them as well the idea is like right they're going to they're going to figure it out at some point but again this is kohelet and kohelet realizes that even when bureaucracies and like, all these systems are put in place, sometimes it still doesn't happen. Sometimes we still don't find justice in that. And so he kind of alludes to this idea that well, there's a higher one over them. Again, we've been talking about God thus far, right? So even within the idea of the oppression of this world, all these people that are oppressing these higher ones, um, the, the word for higher officials here, we talked about counselors last week and kings. Whenever kings are oppressive, well, they've still got to answer to somebody too. doesn't specify who that is, but we're led to believe that, well, that's God. Again, he's trying to figure out what it is on this earth, on under the sun, right, that makes all these things right. And he can't figure it out. So he's kind of come to this conclusion that, well, maybe we got to go beyond the sun. Maybe there's something else. So God, maybe God's the one who's going to Going to keep them from uh, keeping all this injustice in the world. All things considered, this is an advantage for a land, a king for a plowed field. Advantage, we're back to Yatrone again. Except for Yatrone this time isn't for humanity, instead, it's for a land, it's for the earth. It's a little bit of a shift for Kohelet here. No longer are we, are we focusing on the good for people, but it's good for the earth, for all the land. And what does it mean for a, a king for a plowed field? This is a, this is a pretty troublesome translation and interpretation. There's a lot of ink spilled over this, trying to figure out what this means. But if you break it down, you have two things. You have a king, and you have a plowed field. What do we get with a king? Well, we just talked about the idea that, that there's these, all these people that are oppressive. All these people, these higher officials, right? And so sometimes these kings are really oppressive. But then there's a plowed field. What do we get with the plowed field? Well, we get plants and food. Plowed fields are pretty consistent. You pretty well know with a plowed field and you plant in it, you know what you're going to get. But a king, on the other hand, you just don't really know what you're going to get when it comes to kings. So here, this is, again, this is Phil's interpretation. All things considered, the advantage for the land, for all the earth, I'll take a plowed field any day over a king. Because I know what I'm getting with a plowed field. Just not sure what I'm getting with a king. Um, Oppression isn't something we often talk about especially not here in, in Dallas, right? Um, isn't too often that even here in Highland Park we feel oppressed, right? Um, that that wouldn't be something that comes up a whole lot. Um, and we're going to change that a little bit. Um, next week, we're going to take the opportunity to talk about oppression, and not just any kind of oppression, but the idea of persecution, um, and specifically persecuted Christians. Um, I'm sure... Many of you know about places all over the earth, all over the world, where Christians don't just get to gather on Thursday nights and read the Bible together. Or on Sunday mornings and and worship together. In fact, there's something around 200 million Christians that, that deal with oppression and deal with persecution just because of their religion. So next week, our church is hosting the Prayer for the Persecuted. Um and it's a um a service that's gonna be held in the sanctuary at seven o'clock. And it's not just our church. It's um an ecumenical deal. It's, we've got Catholic ministers, we've got Presbyterians, us, um and there's Coptics. If you've you've probably heard something about Coptics lately, the whole um Jesus was married thing, right? That came out of the Coptic Church. Um e- the Egypt area. A lot of the a lot of these places within the Middle East and Northern Africa and stuff. Um, that's where they deal with a lot of oppression. And there's actually going to be somebody who's coming to kind of share a testimony and preach who grew up um, dealing with oppression and and persecution and stuff. So we kind of thought, what a great opportunity. Um, We sit here and and just kind of indulge in the Bible week in and week out. And what a great opportunity just to take some time to have some solidarity as American Christians with these persecuted Christians all over the world. And, And again, we're not solving the world problem of Christian persecution we're just taking some time to just be in prayer with them. To hear their story. And so I fully invite you. Um, we're not going to be down here. Make note here. Make mental note. We won't meet down here at 7.30 next week. We're going to be in the sanctuary at 7. And I think it's going to be a big deal. If it's going to be in the sanctuary, they're expecting a lot of people. So I'm going to try to be here at like 6.30. I would recommend trying to be here at like 6.45 if you want to grab a seat and find a parking spot. So um, come check it out. Like I'm just really excited about the opportunity to to hear people's stories and hear what it is they go through and allow it to humble us to realize that, man, we got it pretty easy. The fact that we get to gather here in a really cool space and and read the Bible together corporately, freely. That's something we too often take for granted. So so I told you we were going to have a couple announcements. Um, That's my first one. There will be another one momentarily. Um, If you want more information on this, though, I'm going to tweet out um, all that information. I'll send out an email. Um, it'll be on Facebook. It'll be all over the social media world and email and all that kind of stuff. So, um, or you can definitely ask me afterwards. But again, seven o'clock, Thursday night next week, in the sanctuary. All right, back we go. Verse ten. Here we go, shifting ideas again. The lover of money will not be satisfied with money, nor the lover of wealth with gain. This also is vanity. Well, that doesn't really sound like balance to me. If vanity is balanced and neutral and negated, the lover of money will not be satisfied with money, nor the lover of wealth with gain. Again, Kohelet's trying to answer his deepest question. What's the point of everything we're doing? Remember back to chapter 2. He sought out the idea of possessions. He didn't. He didn't let his eye anything his eye saw that he wanted. He took it, and yet he still didn't find what he was looking for. And so here he says, "The lover of money will not be satisfied with money. Greed is never satisfied. Pursuit of money will never meet one's deepest personal needs, and likewise, wealth." Is never satisfied by gain. And see, money is not the issue here. We talked about last week, I think it was power wasn't the issue. Money's not the issue. Wealth isn't the issue. It's this continual pursuit that's the issue. Because again, greed is never satisfied. This is our problem, right? We get a little bit, we want a little bit more. We get a little bit more, we want a little bit more after that. And well, all of this is balance. How is that balance? We're going to get there. Verse 11. When goods increase, those who eat them increase. And what gain has their owner but to see them with his eyes? When goods increase, those who eat them increase. If I have a little bit, and then I have more. Well, the more that I have, the more people are going to want of that. And this is what he's talking about. This, and again, this isn't unique to Kohelet. We talked about the idea that, that Kohelet is among the tradition of Solomon, King Solomon. Um, king Solomon was, was king, he was a son of David, he became king after David. And Solomon pretty well turned Israel. Into an empire, like he just grew it and made it in this huge empire, and he had the opportunity to meet Queen Sheba. If you, if you look in First Kings ten, you, you learn about this, this chick named Queen Sheba, um, and she came from Ethiopia, they think, and and uh, she told Solomon, she said, because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel, he has made you king to maintain justice and righteousness. That's your role as king. Maintain justice and righteousness. This is kind of a setup, right? Because what have we just talked about with kings? They're unpredictable. You never know what you're going to get out of them. And I don't know if you know the story of Solomon very well, but he didn't quite live up to this expectation. Instead, he, like I said, he builds an empire. He collects more. And therefore needs more. The more he collects, the more he has to protect. The bigger his empire becomes, the more mouths he has to feed. Right? Goods increase. those who eat them increase. Israel became bigger and bigger. thus, not only did he have to feed more people, but he had to protect it. So to protect it, he built military bases. I and mean, it became everything you would think of as an empire. But Solomon also built the temple, right? Like That's one of the main things he's known for. He built the temple. And that's good. Temple to God, right? Well, we're also told that he pretty well built that temple with slaves. Which is extremely ironic, because not too long before that, Israel, they were the slaves. They were the ones coming out of the exodus, right? Coming out of Egypt. And now here we are, and all of a sudden, they've become the oppressor. Israel has gone from being the oppressed to being the oppressor. And all because the more they had, the more they did take care of. Again, it's wisdom, right? This is wisdom literature. So yeah, absolutely I'll take a field over a king. I can trust fields. I know what I'm going to get from them. All right. You want something out of the New Testament too? If you look in, in Luke chapter 12, verse 13, it's called the parable of the rich fool, which is really convenient because we're talking wisdom literature and we have fools. So here we go. Starting in 13, it says, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Sounds a little greedy, right? But he said to him, Friend, who sent me to be judge or arbiter Over you, and he said to them, Take care, be on your guard against all things of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable The land of a rich man produced abundantly, and he thought to himself, What should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this I will pull down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, You fool! This very night your life is being demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. Wow, it's like Luke is reading right out of Kohelet. I gotta tell you, when I was reading through all this stuff today, and like, I started coming across all these cross references. I was like, "Man, the Bible is just stinking cool!" All the ways that it overlaps and all these things that tie together is just really cool. So we finished verse eleven by saying, "What gain has their owner but to see them with his eyes? What gain does he have to just stand there and watch as the more and more people consume all that he has amassed?" Verse 12, sweet is the sleep of laborers, whether they eat little or much, but the surfeit of the rich will not let them sleep. Why is sleep sweet for laborers, but those who are rich don't get to sleep? Because the rich are worrying. They have all, these more, all this stuff that they've amassed, all this stuff that they've gathered. They're worried about taking care of it, right? You, I'm sure you can relate to this. When I used to drive an old beat up truck, I didn't care if somebody came in like, we're going to take something out of my truck because there was nothing they could take out of it that was that valuable. But then I got a newer car and I was like, oh my gosh, someone might take something out of my car. All right, you get it. Like my phone is three years old. I'm like, oh my gosh, whatever. If it gets taken, whatever, it's time for a new one, right? But I guarantee you whenever I get my new phone, it's going to be attached to me all the time because I'm worry about it. The more we have, the more we worry about. In fact, we lose sleep because we're so worried about it. There's a clear distinction here between the laborers and the rich. Kind of the idea that the, the laborer works for the rich. And the rich are the ones that don't get to sleep. Let's go back to Luke. Same chapter, right after Jesus just finished his parable, the very next title of the the next part of what my Bible titles it, it says, do not worry. Well, thanks. Starting in verse 22, he says, he said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat, about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And can any of you, by worrying, at a single hour to your span of life? If then you are not able to do so small a thing as that, why do you worry about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil, and toil, we've seen that word before, nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, well, that's who we were talking about, and all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the, of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not keep striving, do not keep pursuing for what you are to eat and what you are to drink. Do not keep worrying. For it is the nations of the world that strive after all these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, strive for the kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Well, it's like Luke is answering Kohelet's questions here. pretty convenient. So we go on to 13. There's a grievous ill. Literally, there's a a sickly evil. Not just any kind of evil, but like real nasty sickly evil that I have seen under the sun. And what is that? I've seen that riches were kept by their owners to their hurt and to their danger. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. Though they are parents of children, they have nothing in their hand their riches were lost in a bad venture. Bad venture could could easily mean like a a morally like questionable venture or event, but it could also just be something that, that just didn't turn out the way they kind of thought it was going to. It just turned out bad. It was just kind of a misfortune. Well, that's kind of unfortunate, right? Because they had all this, all these riches stored up, but now after some bad venture... Well, now it's all gone. And not only do they have nothing for themselves, but they don't have anything for the kids either. You think, well, that's why you don't make bad ventures. It's easy enough. I know this is way before our time, but you think that the stock market crash of 1929 was a planned bad venture? You hear all these people thinking they're making sound investments and doing, you know, investing properly and doing what they're supposed to with their money. And all blows up in, right in front of them. Again, we're in Kohelet. There's things we can control in life, and there's so many things we can't. So yeah, there's a lot of times you can make great decisions and not play the role of the fool. But sometimes you'll play the role of the wise, and you still get bad ventures. Well, then what? Oh, you know what? Actually, it gets worse. Let's go on. As they came from their mother's womb, well, so, so they shall go back there. Make it as they came, they shall take nothing for their toil, which they may carry away with their hands. This also is a grievous ill. This also is a sickly evil. Just as they came, so shall they go. And what gain do they have from the toiling for the wind? He quotes Job here. He quotes another wisdom literature. And it just doesn't get much worse than that. The bad venture doesn't steal it from you. Well, guess what? You're going to die. This isn't the first time we've, we've met death in this, right? Death is the equalizer. So even if you make it through life pretty good, you're going to die. And when you die, you go just like you came, empty-handed. And not just empty-handed, but naked. I mean, he's pretty harsh about this. He's not holding much back here. And he's upset about it. It's a sickly evil. Where's the answer to this? All that we do, we work so hard. And for what? We come out with with nothing when we die. Or at least, nothing materially. And this is what he's getting at. There's got to be something that we do under the sun that's going to result, all of our toil has got to lead to something more than just all these material possessions. Because clearly that's not doing it. There's got to be something else here. This is what he continues to lead us to. But he doesn't stop here. Because to end on that would be like, well, heck, what's the point of even living, right? And so this is what he ends with. And I love that he ends this way. This is the fourth time he's kind of taken this really, again, harsh, nasty negative and just flipped it. And this is how he ends, not only chapter 5, but kind of these last two chapters of like craziness. This is what I have seen to be good. It is fitting to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of the life God gives. For this is our lot. This is this is what we're supposed to do. This is our portion. Likewise, all to whom God gives wealth and possessions and whom he enables to enjoy them and to accept their lot and find enjoyment in the toil, well, that's God's gift. For they will scarcely brood over the days of their lives because God keeps them occupied with the joy of their hearts. Y'all hear this. Y'all can relate to the idea that Continually were consumed by this pursuit of wealth. This pursuit of, of money and these material possessions, right? Like the term keeping up with the Joneses, it's really hardcore when you live in Dallas. Because Mr. Jerry Jones lives in a $1.2 billion house right down there in Arlington, right? Jerry's world. Keeping up with the Joneses is pretty hardcore here. You've seen it. And you may, you may be the same person. You may be one of those people that amassed all this wealth and then all of a sudden, poof, it's gone. Or even worse, you may have amassed all this debt in the pursuit of wealth. And Well, now what? Geez, now I don't even have the wealth I was pursuing. Instead, I have all this debt. Talk about keeping you up at night worrying, right? At some point, you got to just kind of say, man, enough, right? Enough of it. In comes my second announcement. I want to highly encourage you all, whether money is an issue for you, or whether you just want to know more about like better ways to, to deal with your money, or whether you you know you just need a little help. like I, don't, I didn't even think I needed help with money, but I started reading this book. It's called Enough by Adam Hamilton. Um, and we're actually going to do a four-week study. I say we. The church as a whole is doing a four-week study. The first four Tuesdays of October. The study is called Enough, off this book. I started reading this book, and I was like, oh my gosh. I blow so much money in ridiculous places, and I don't even know where my money goes. Like, he keeps talking about this idea, you get to the end of the month or the end of the year, and you're like, I made that much money, where did it all go? Like, where did I spend that at? So whether you think you need help with money, or whether you're just curious, like, man, that, that probably couldn't hurt, right? October 2nd, starting October 2nd, in the next four Tuesdays, our church is doing a study on money, on this idea of enough. And our very own Stephen will actually help co-lead one night. I'm pretty sure it's an accountant, right? Isn't Doug an accountant, a retired accountant? Retired accountant accountant is going to be leading it. And then um, Stephen's going to help one night, Um, JW's going to help one night, Ramsey, who helps with Cornerstone, is going to help one night, and Ethan's going to help one night, assuming she's back from baby. She's whatever, (laughs) baby. Um, So I I really want to encourage you in that as well. I know I kind of give you two things. Um one for next Thursday that we obviously would love for you to come to in, in place of shift. Um I don't know what your Tuesday nights look like, but just, just again I read through the first two chapters and I was like this stuff is fantastic and it's a notebook. So if you think you need some help with money, um again I can put all this stuff available on the website and I can tweet it out and all that kind of fun stuff. But if you if you don't if you just want to come chat with me about it, I'm happy to get you the info on it. Um I think it'll be really beneficial and what a great opportunity to grow to find contentment with other people in this. Because that's what, that's what Adam's point is in the book, is finding contentment in what we what we have, what we are. And I think that's exactly what Kohelet's doing here. It's about contentment. So, again, I love that he ends on a high note. We're going to pick back up next week in chapter 6. Oh, nope, not next week. Whew. In two weeks on chapter 6. Next week we're going to be praying for the persecuted. Um. So, so go on a high note with this. Um, we'll close in prayer, and then you can just leave being happy that we get to eat, drink, and find enjoyment. So, Let's pray. Lord, may we be grateful for what we have. And remember that we don't need most of what we want. And ultimately know that our joy is not found in money or wealth or material possessions. And pray that you continually remind us that our joy is found in simplicity and in generosity and in eating and drinking and even amongst the toil that we toil here under the sun. And ultimately that our joy lies in things that extend beyond the sun. God, we pray that we would find contentment as we glow cl- closer to you, our Creator, our Redeemer. our sustainer. Amen.